All right, Happy New Year, church. It's good to, good to see you this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, awkward stages. Um, so, you know, all of us in our lives, you've maybe walked through a, a season of life that you maybe wouldn't want, like, everyone to know about. There'd be, like, some people, and you'd be okay with them seeing an old picture of you when maybe your hair was a little bit different, or you were really into something that you're no longer into. I thought that might be a good way to start 2021 for me to share a little bit uh, about one of my awkward stages. And so we'll go ahead uh, and, and do that. It was in middle school, and something significant had um, happened. And during my middle school years, uh, before that, I was known as David to everybody. Uh, but in middle school, I had a youth pastor that I thought was really, really cool, and he started calling me Dave. And so I was like, oh, that feels like way cooler than David feels for some reason. There's still two people in this world that still call me David. One is Richie Hutchinson, and the other is my mother. And so that's just kind of how that works. I'm not really sure if they're like in some kind of conspiracy to bring back uh, David. But also during that time, I got into skateboarding. And I was really, really cool. I just want you to realize just how hard of a person I was. Um, I started uh, gelling my hair and spiking it. I used this old gel. It's still around, I think. It's called LA Looks. Anybody? Yeah, so really, really thick and greasy. It caused a problem. My forehead just like broke out everywhere just because I had so much gel up in there. I started wearing a chain wallet. And so I had a, you guys are laughing, but it's true. So I had like a chain that went all like to my knee, which I would actually like to bring back because then I wouldn't lose my wallet like I do now. I feel like 11 times a day, I'm like, oh, where's that? So I wore one of those. I also, I want to show you a t-shirt that I had. Skateboarding is not a crime. So I just wanted everybody to realize, not paying your parking tickets, it's a crime. Uh, but skateboarding is not a crime. So we would try to like find places in Sioux Falls or we could skateboard. So I remember like the, the Taco Bell where the pita pit is now on Minnesota. That's not a pita pit. That's a Taco Bell. Thank you very much. And that was a great place uh, to skateboard. Also listen to this band, uh, MXPX. And so I was really, really, really into MXPX. So everybody in the room who's like 50 and above has lost a ton of respect for me. And so what we're going to do, we're going to get into the scriptures so I can gain that respect back. But I say all of that to say, Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of God, the chosen people of God, like are in an awkward stage in their life. In the stage that they are in, it's the stage where they are looking outward toward everybody else, what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is valuing. They're not looking internally. They're, they're not thinking about the promises that God has spoken over their life in any kind of a way. They're just looking outward. So if there's someone else who's doing something, oh, that must mean that it is good and that it is beautiful and that it is worthwhile. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be in this series called Kings and Kingdoms. And we want to talk about some kings of the Old Testament. We're going to talk about King Saul. We're going to talk about King David. We're going to talk about King Solomon. All of these kings ruled for the same amount of time. But the stories and the legacies that were left by those kings are very different. And so the book of 1 Samuel 
It's going to be up on the screen for you. I'm going to start reading in chapter 8. And the heading in my Bible says, Israel asks for a king. And, and I'm not really in the practice of thinking that I have a better word to put in the scriptures, okay? Um, but this heading, if I could change the heading just a little bit, I don't think I'm getting struck by lightning. If I do, it'll be a great day at invitation. Um, but I would like it to say Israel demands a king. They're not really asking. It's a little bit more than that, and we'll kind of discover that as we go along. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. Because if you know, if your parent is in a position of power, it's more likely that you too are going to be in a position of power. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes. And they perverted justice. And all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, this is just mean. You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. So this is what I'm talking about. They're, they're looking not internally, but externally, outwardly. Like, give us what all of the other nations have. Like, Samuel, I know that like, God's hand is upon you, and that you are like this chosen prophet to tell us the things of God, but let me tell you something, you're old. And they're not, I don't think, just talking about his age. I think they're talking about his relevancy. Like, I don't think they see Samuel as someone who has any wisdom to offer, any perspective to give anymore. Like, his time is done. Like, he should just hang it up. You're old, so give us somebody else to lead us. Like all of the other nations, we don't have a king. But all the other nations do, so you should appoint one. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. Are you surprised? So he prayed to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? These people come to Samuel, and they speak a word against him, something that displeased him. What do we do when that happens? We go find somebody else that we can tell about what somebody says, said to us. But where does Samuel go? Samuel goes to prayer. And I just think in the text, we're not going to spend a lot of time, not going to get stuck in a rabbit trail there, but I just think that's amazing. That when someone steps into your life, in your story, and has a harsh word to be spoken against you, where do you go? What do you do with that? Because, newsflash, you have to go somewhere and you have to do something with that word. So Samuel goes and he prays to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen, to all the people are saying to you, it is not that you, it's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And I just wonder if there's somebody in the house today who just needs to hear that. That maybe it is not you that the people in your life have rejected. Maybe it's not your way, but maybe it's God that they have rejected. Because I think there's just a lot of us who came in here today and we know about rejection. We know about a harsh word being spoken against us. And we find ourselves in good company actually when that happens. Jesus has promised that this is going to happen to us. 
He tells the disciples that the world is going to hate you, not because of you, but because of me. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, verse 8, until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. So God's like, okay, you want a king? About to get yourself the king. But let me tell you what this king is going to do. Samuel told them all of the words of the Lord to the people who are asking him for a king. And he said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. So watch this. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. If you kind of missed it, they're going to get run over. That's the first thing that's going to happen. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, of commanders of fifties, and others to plow, notice this, his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your men servants and maidservants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will what? He will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen and the Lord will not answer you in that day, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. No. We want a king over us. So at this point in Israel's history, they have entered the promised land. They've, they're no longer in Egypt, and they're desiring of a king. And so we kind of hear about Samuel. Samuel, if you remember, is the baby who was miraculously born to Hannah. You remember Hannah? She's the woman in the temple who's weeping and weeping and crying out for the Lord to give her a child. And we know that so many people have been in that place. Some of us are in that place right now of crying out to the Lord for something that is near and dear to your very heart. And she's an example in the scriptures of persevering in prayer, of coming to the Lord again and again and again and again with a heart of humility, but also a heart of perseverance. And those are two great recipes when you come to God in prayer, to come with a humility of heart, but also a perseverance spirit. And that's what Hannah does. And God gives her a child. And Hannah promises that he is going to, to serve God in the temple. And Samuel does that. He's a prophet to the nation of Israel. He's, he's a faithful, faithful man. But he's always, there's always two boys, right? You ever notice that? It's never just one boy. It's always two, right? Not just like one that's causing trouble, right? They like need two. There's never like one class clown, right? What does every class clown need? He needs somebody to laugh, right? When he does something he's not supposed to, right? So Joel and Abijah, are these guys who are just the worst. And they are not like their father. They're not faithful. The scripture says that they accepted bribes and they perverted justice. And then here comes the request in verse 4. 
that Israel wants a king just like everybody else has. And what does this request reveal? I think it reveals a couple things. I think first it reveals like a lack of trust in the king that they already have. Because like, like, think about what's happened. This is a nation of people who are slaves in Egypt. And they, and they cry out to God. And he hears them. And he delivers them. But that's just not good enough. They don't have this trust. But they also, in addition to having a lack of trust, I also think they have great dissatisfaction in who God has chosen, who God has proven himself to be. So notice, the, like the problem is not the request, right? Because that's the thing I like sat with this week. I'm like, that's not the problem. That's not the, the issue because Deuteronomy 17 verse 20, God promises that they're going to have a king. So that's a promise of God. So the request is not the problem. All the parents in the room can agree with me and say amen when they say the demand is the problem. So it's not the request. It's not the like, hey, can I? It's the no, like, you'll give this to me. Like, now. And if I don't have it, I will die. I will throw myself on the living room floor, right? And I will behave like a beached whale, right? That, like, this is, this is the problem. The problem is the demand. And worse than that, Israel has a practice of demanding in their relationship with God. Like, there's, there's a rhythm of demanding. So what do they demand? Uh, they demand a golden calf. So, like, Moses goes on top of Mount Sinai, right? This, like, holy mountain where he's going to meet with God and have this amazing conversation with him and he's gone a while and what happens to the Israelites they get anxious they get worried they get fidgety so they have this bright idea oh hey I know what we'll do let's build a golden calf and worship that so they do that because if God's gone for a little while or he's not spoken in a bit then we're going to turn to another God and they've always wanted like this like strong army. Like, yeah, it's awesome to have God who called us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, but we also need like something physical. Like it's just not good enough. We want like safe land conditions. So you remember this, that even when they're like on the edge of the promised land, right? Like they can see it. They're like, well, but there's like, there's people living there. So there's like always an excuse, right? And so like God sends some leaders from the nation of Israel, okay, go and like check out the land and see what's going on and then report back. And then we'll decide if we're going to step into what God has promised to us if it makes sense to do so. Like if there's not opposition, but what if in the scriptures what we actually learn that provision comes in the presence of opposition, not in the absence of it. And so, yeah, there's people in the land, but like there was also people in Egypt, and I led you out of that, and you saw me do that. So why would you not believe that I am a God who is suddenly, now that we're out of Egypt, suddenly like I'm enabled. I'm no longer powerful and present and good and loving and so I just wonder, like, what we have a tendency to demand in our relationship with God. 
Because I think ultimately there's two ways to reject God. The first way is to like reject him outright, like to his face. But there's another way to reject him, to say that you follow him, but you don't depend on him. And I just wonder, like if we are a people who have a practice of dependence on God. And before you answer yes, I just want you to sit with that for a minute. And I just want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about the ways that you depend on him. And I want you to think about the ways that you depend on yourself or the people around you or your status or your position or your financial situation or your gifting. And it's just good to just put that on the table and let that be data for us. Like how much do we have a rhythm of dependence upon ourselves and how much do we have a dependence on God? I can tell you for myself, if I want something to change really quickly, I'm tempted to depend on myself. I need to grow in my patience. When Isaiah says to wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord, what, will rise like the eagle and not grow weary and not grow tired. So what do you have a tendency to demand? I just think it would be easier to trust God if we had some kind of guarantee of like what, we would, what he would do and what kind of king he would be and we kind of had like that evidence like sort of like, I don't know, uh, overdraft protection, right? So I know this has never happened to anybody, but you kind of like overspend what's your in, in your account and God's like, oh, it's okay, I got you, right? Like that would help us, I think, have a different kind of, of faith. It'd be so much easier to trust God, I think, if we could control him, right? So if we could control what he was going to do and how he was going to respond to us and to our needs, I think it'd be easier to trust him. And I also think it's possible in this story to put Israel on trial. Like, go, Israel, why can't you just stink and get it right? Like, what's your issue? Like, what more do you need? And I think it's important for us to say that it is not wrong to ask God for things that you desire. It is not wrong. To ask God for things that you desire. I think desire is part of what it means to be human. I think we actually get into trouble when we pretend that we are people without desire and we are people without cravings and without things that matter to us. But the problem is that when someone craves something so much that they could not be happy without the thing that we crave, uh, there's this word in the New Testament used by the uh, New Testament writers, epithumia. And it's a, it's a desire that has taken so much space up in your soul that there's not really room for anything else. It's a craving that controls. So this is different than like you wake up in the morning and you have a craving for coffee. I know no one does, but just imagine in your mind if you had that sometime in your life. I'm not talking about that. 
Like I'm talking about a craving in your soul that you just have to have it. This is what Israel feels about a king. They're, they're craving for a king that they could see with their eyes. And I think more than that, I also think they want a king so that the other nations would see that they have a king. Do you understand that? Like it's not just for them, right? I think, I think they want the nations to go, oh, see, like you've been hating on us. You have been making fun of, of Israel and thinking we're small. Like check out, we got a king now. It's like showing up to the playground with your older sibling and be like, oh, what'd you say? That's the equivalent of what's going on. I don't think this is just about Israel. I think this is also about the nations. And I just wonder like how many of us, like the things that we crave, what if they're not just for us? What if we want them so that someone else will see that we have them? And how does that make us feel? What kind of security does that give us? So then verse 10 God gives Israel their king, telling Samuel, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve in his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. And, you know, Israel's not, not supposed to avoid having a king at all costs. Israel is supposed to avoid being consumed by the desire for one. And they're consumed by the desire for one so much that they end up having consequences for this desire, because this king is not going to be anything like Yahweh. He's going to be everything that is opposite of the God of Israel. Beginning in verse 12, we have this like whole series of what this king is going to be like. And the key word is take. Like if you have a Bible, you could like circle how many times that verb shows up. Take, I'm going to take, I'm going to take, I'm going to take. He's going to take the sons and daughters. He's going to take the crops. He's going to take the land. He's going to take the best years of your lives and he's going to exploit them for himself. And I just think this sounds a lot to me like the way the evil one is talked about in the New Testament. That Jesus will say, like, I've come that you would have what? That you would have life and have it abundantly. Have it in such a way like you have a plumbing problem in your house and you just can't get the water off and it's just spraying everywhere. You have, a, you have an abundance of water in your basement. I think that's the picture, right? That it's like overflowing. This like abundant life. It's not just like a little bit of life. It's not like a, it's a tiny drop. It's not like that moment you walk up to a water fountain. You had this in your life before. You walk up to a water fountain and like you put your mouth, you're not anymore because of COVID, but you put like your mouth by it and there's nothing coming out of it. Right? That happened in my middle school all the time and it just drove me insane. I think that happens to us too. And I think if you asked a bunch of people, what is your experience with God? I think that they would tell you that that is their experience with God. That he somehow like has one hand behind his back. That he's somehow holding out on them. But that's not the God of the scriptures. And the irony is that the Israelites look to a king who's going to guarantee their prosperity and their blessing and their safety and their security. And he's going to make the nations be afraid of Israel. So for once, they're going to be the king on the playground 
But that king doesn't do that. That king steals. That king kills. And that king destroys that safety. Destroys that prosperity. Destroys that blessing. I think this is an Old Testament version of a New Testament principle that when you have other kings besides God, those kings don't save you. Those kings enslave you. They don't save, they enslave. Like Paul will say it in this way. We can look at Galatians Galatians 4, verse 8. But in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God. So notice this. This is amazing. So he's talking about a time in the past. He's talking about a time, and then he's talking about a reality. When you didn't know God. So that is not to be said of us now. This is, this is like another time. Not today, but in the past. When you didn't know God, you were what? You were enslaved by things that by nature are not God's. And there's this pastor in New York City that I talk about a lot. His name's Tim Keller, and he says this. I think this is really beautiful. Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely, and if you fail him, will forgive you eternally. Like, that's the kind of king that he is. Like, the God of the Bible, the king of the universe, Yahweh, he is not one who takes, but one who gives. A few weeks ago, I was watching The Lion King with real animals with my son, Miles. And it's like a little scary, you know, because they're not like drawings. They're like actual animals. And we had to kind of have that conversation like, okay, how are they talking? It's all confusing. We're still working on all of that. But at the beginning of the movie, Simba, Mufasa, they're, they're looking out at Pride Rock, right? This is like classic Disney for so many of us. And they're having this conversation, and, and Simba's like, wow, like, look at all the stuff that we have. Like, everything the light touches, like, whoa, amazing, powerful, cool. And what does Mufasa say in this, like, deep, really manly, king, lion kind of voice, right? He tells Simba something really important. He tells them that what matters is not what a person has, not what a king has, but what a king gives. That that's what really matters. And I just think for us, I am so tempted, so very tempted, to look at all of the things that I have that the light touches. And it is a difficult practice to understand that true power True worth is not what you can take, but what you can give. And I think a lot of times we read the story of King Saul, this king who's a taker. And we end up thinking like, oh, poor Israelites. Gosh, they just cannot catch a break. Right? They get enslaved in Egypt for like ever. They come out of Egypt into the promised land. And then they got this king who treats them this way. 
poor Israelites. And then we think like, bad Saul, he should not have done that. That was wrong. That was unkind. But what we need to realize is that Saul is being set up in contrast to the true king, Jesus. Because what Saul fails to deliver for the people of Israel, Jesus would fulfill for all, that who, all who would believe in him. So Saul sought his own interests to take the land and the people and the possessions. And Jesus rejected his own interests. Like Paul says that so beautifully in Philippians chapter 2. That he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, like something to hold on to, something to white-knuckle is the way that I like to think of it. But he made himself nothing and he took the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death and even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Saul sought his own interest. Jesus rejected his own interest. Saul made Israel his servants, but Jesus made himself a servant. Saul's selfishness would cause death in Israel, but Jesus' love would bring about life for Israel. And Israel dies for Saul's sins. And in but then Jesus dies for ours. I invite the band up as we close. And I think it's important at the beginning of this series to understand that in 2021, there are going to be all kinds of shepherds who are going to be inviting you to come and to lay down in their pasture. All kinds of shepherds. That was true last year. That was true five years ago. That's always going to be true. That Jesus is not the only shepherd in the universe. He just happens to be the only good one. And there's going to be all kinds of kings who will invite you to bend your knee at their throne. And Jesus is not the only king. There's all kinds of kings. He's just the only faithful one. And you will not be able to do anything about those shepherds' desire for you or those kings' desire for you, but you will be able to do much about your desire for them. You can't stop a shepherd of the universe calling you to come and lay down in their pasture. You can't stop them from doing that. You can't stop a, a king of the universe calling out to you like, hey, come over here. Like, come bend your knee here. Like, I'm the one that's on the throne in charge, high and lifted up, powerful. But you will be able to do much, not about their desire for you, but about your desire for them. And I think it would be a wonderful thing in 2021 that like a year from now at the end of this year I'm, I'm hopeful and prayerful that a ton of things are going to be different but the thing that I want to be most different in my life personally 
is that the shepherds and the kings that call out to me, I have way lower desire for those shepherds and those kings at the end of this year than I do standing in front of you right now. Like, I want to have less desire. I want to have less temptation to to come and lie down in fields that I don't belong in and to bow at the feet of kings that I want nothing to do with that. Well, why? Because I don't need another king because I already have one. I don't need to go searching because he is here present and moving and powerful and has expressed to me what is true about him and what is true about me. Because I don't need any other person. And there's this amazing story in the book of John. And Jesus and his mother Mary are at a wedding. And there's a moment when the wine runs out. And Mary gets the attention of some of the people who are throwing the party. That makes me think that this is someone in her family. Because I don't know about you, but when you go to a wedding reception, you don't like boss people around normally. Maybe you do. That's between you and them, I guess. You probably don't get invited to many weddings. And Mary says to these people, hey, like, well, there's no more wine. The wine's run out. And Mary just has five words, one sentence. For these people. She just turns to them and says this one sentence. I'm not a big New Year's resolution guy. If you would try to find like a journal that has my 10 New Year's resolution, you wouldn't find it. But something that I do each year is I really just like ask God like, hey, what is like, what's a scripture? What's a story in the Scriptures that, like, you really would like me to live into more this year. And John chapter 2, verse 5 is kind of what I feel like he laid on my heart for this next year, for 2021. It's just five words. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus, turning to these people at the wedding. And she says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Why? Because he's the king. And I don't know about you, but what I want for me, at the end of this year, I want to say, man, I did that more faithfully than I did in 2020. I did that more consistently than I did in 2020. I did that more willingly in this year. Because he's the true king. I don't need a King Saul when I have Yahweh. And why does Mary say that? Mary says that because she's experienced the fact that he's the king of the universe. And she's trusted him in really difficult and messy ways. And I don't know, like my guess is that we're going to have that same experience. And I just think that's a, that's a beautiful way to start 2021 is just to understand that we all have an opportunity to live out that sentence that Mary speaks over those people to do whatever he tells us to do. It's what I want for me. It's what I want for us 
as a people. Because what would happen to us if we would search less after other shepherds and other kings? And we would do what the Lord has told us to do. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your word, for the grace and the power that is in it, for the way that it challenges us, for the way that it moves us. God, I pray that we would be John chapter 2, verse 5 kinds of people this year. That we would do not what makes sense. That we would do not what everybody else is doing around us. We would do not what we want to do. But we would do what you have told us to do, God. That you would find us a faithful people in a crazy, divisive difficult time in our world would the church of Jesus rise up as a group of people who live and to seek not to be right but to be obedient to the right king of the universe so that our lives would themselves point to the one who is the way the truth and the life and if we will do that we can will need to do a lot less finger pointing because our lives will do the pointing we have to do a lot more convincing of people because they will see in their own eyes a group of people who have chosen and who have sought to live the way of the true king of the universe. So God, I pray that our living out of John 2 verse 5 would bring people into the kingdom. That there be people who are sitting here a year from now because they interacted with a group of people who sought to lift up the name of Jesus. Not on a Sunday morning, just in a daycare, but in the streets of this city. And God, for that, we will give you all of the glory and the honor and the praise as the God who has come to prepare a place, not just for us, but for every life that fills the earth. We give you thanks and praise for your love today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand?